excited to be with you this morning at Genesis Community Church. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Continuing on in the Gospel of John, and I want to start by talking about, just if I could make a, a compilation of just different pastoral conversations I've had over 13 years of talking to folks <clears throat> um, in ministry and beyond, just church, church folk, friends, family, whatever it might be, and you can put them into some general ideas. Um, these general ideas are, are some like, may, may sound like this, that that people have unfulfilled marriages. They, they're, they're dissatisfied with their marriage for one reason or another. Maybe they're con, uh, comparing their spouse to somebody. Maybe they just think that they, it needs to be different. Maybe it's not where they thought it was supposed to be. Maybe they have not enough kids. Or maybe they don't have the stage that they thought they'd be in financially. Or maybe they're stressed because uh, somebody has to, you know, both spouses have to work. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't in the game plan, and that adds a level of stress to family life. Like all these things start to show up, and people go, "Man, I just, you know, I just," you wake up and you go, "I, I don't even know if I enjoy being married anymore." Like that, that legit is one where people just go, "Yeah, we just, we, we've learned to tolerate each other, and we can do that." Certainly, I find uh, there are good conversations too. These are just the de- more depressing ones. Um, <clears throat> People who have distressed finances, you, you, you do come across a lot of people that just get like underwater with money. They don't know how to handle it. They, they bite off more than they can chew. They, they go ahead and go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the 60-month car note and, like, and then refi it at year three so that I can get another 60 out of it. You're paying for like 45 years on the same car, but you're in your third car by that time. <clears throat> still paying on the first, it feels like, or uh, the house was too big because they felt like they needed to keep up with their friends and family around them, you know, and aspire to something or communicate something about where they stood, so they wanted to have stuff, and that just puts you in a terrible place, terrible place. And I, I can tell you, when you're in a, a bad financial spot, it becomes all you think about. You just go, I can't, I don't enjoy any purchase. It could be like $3 for uh, a, you know, a pack of gum or you know, a larger pack. You go, who pays $3 for gum? Well, you haven't seen inflation yet, but like, <clears throat> it's big. There's, you know, there are more, it's a lot of pieces of gum, okay? They spend it and they're like, I just, all they think about is how they're doing something wrong, right? Like you, where every purchase is just like, we don't need to be buying this, we don't need to be doing this, or if you should be doing it, you go, we can't afford this. And it just, stre- it stresses people out. I talk to people who lose sleep. They just don't sleep well. Their mind moves towards other things. I was talking with a friend recently, and he's just like, I can't sleep well. I'm always thinking about my job. I'm always thinking about my finances. I'm like, well, you're both, buddy. Uh, you know, like my, my job, my finances is where I am in life. This isn't where I thought I would be. And, and I can't turn my mind off. Maybe you relate to somebody like that. You just go, I just can't. If it's not one thing, it's another. I have anxiety over how my kids are doing or where they're supposed to be or how life is supposed to be by now. And I just can't. I can't get a good night's sleep. You go, when's the last time you've gotten, let's just say seven hours of sleep. You're like, ha, good one, seven? Like, you know, I'm going four to five a night. Well, you're going to die, right? Like, you're just, you're going to die at four to five hours a night uh, and just enjoy it while it lasts. But, like, we just book ourselves so full and we think, like, why am I always stressed out? Like, maybe it's because you just live stressed. Uh, Overactive, because of that, overactive minds 
they think about every situation. They haven't learned to trust. They haven't learned to just be comfortable wherever they are because they're always thinking about, like, what next? What if? What if? What if? And so their minds just always stop. And they think it's a gift, but really it's not because even God rested. And he rested as a model for us. And so if we have no ability to rest or to shut it down and not worry, then we're trying to play more important than God. That we, well, I know God rested, but God didn't have a mortgage. And you're like, well, not sure that's how it works. Um, since he owns everything. I get the worry, but he has to manage quite a bit and is doing just fine. Another thing you see is, I said overactive minds, but under-exercised bodies. I'm not a big, like, you got to work out 45 days a week, nothing like that. But people just don't move around. They don't, they, they, they're, they're not active. They're inactive. And they don't put any, any care or concern towards their physical health. And, like, I find all of these things, and it just it takes its toll on people. Be it relationally, where things aren't working right in marriage or family or with your kids or with your in-laws or with your parents or with your siblings or be it your distressed finances or the fact that you just can't sleep because your mind never shuts off. And maybe it could shut off more if you moved around at all or had any kind of physical activity, but you don't have that either. And then you hear a sermon like this, you go, oh gosh, there's so many things I should be doing and I just can't do them all. I'm a terrible human being, right? And like the weight just keeps coming. This is so many of us. So many of us, Christian, non-Christian, right, it just, it's like an illness that hits us all. We do not know how to just enjoy life, to enjoy the life that we have. For the Christian in the room today, we should enjoy life, I'm going to put it this way, more than anybody else. Not like it's competitive, but if it were, you'd win. We should enjoy life more than anybody else. We should have the most fulfilled lives I mean that. I know we mock about like your best life now, but who wouldn't want to live their best life now? Like, like you're like, no, I want to live a crappier life now. That's really what I want. I want a poorer life now in hope because I have to punish myself. Everybody wants to live their best life. But we misdiagnose what we need. We misdiagnose how it works. We misdiagnose the heart of where fulfillment and joy actually comes from. And so when we misdiagnose it, we try to pursue other ends. Right? We try to, we try to find fulfillment. We go, okay, if I can get, just get fulfilled here, we go, I'll do it this way. I'll do it in my family life or I'll do it in my finances. We try to seek fulfillment in all these other ways and we don't realize that that too, when you just try and live for fulfillment... That doesn't help either. But don't get me wrong. I absolutely want everybody here, every member of Genesis, every Christian in this room, I want you to have the most satisfying life you possibly can. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it because it's, you know, Tuesday of this week. And you're like, man, it's Tuesday. I can't wait. Right? Like, I want you to enjoy whatever day it might be and not loathe it, not be bothered by it. When you wake up and you have a full day, and you go, gosh, there's going to be a lot to do today. I want, you, I want you to reply to me, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad I have these opportunities. But that doesn't come without a serious recalibration of what matters most. And if we can do the serious recalibration of what matters most and where we actually find enduring joy and fulfillment, then... We'll be able to do that. If we don't make that move, if we don't make the move to recalibrate what matters most, then we will always be walking around tired, bloated, dissatisfied, distressed, in debt, and unhappy. 
that's what we'll be. How do we live joyful, fruitful, love-saturated lives? The life that I think anybody in this room really wants. The one you really want. How do we do that? Well, you've heard the... You've heard the passage already, so I can't like, it's not like a sneak attack where I go, oh, and then if you look here, but here's what it really means. No, I don't, don't do that. Like, you've already heard the passage. You've already heard the words. Uh, many translations translate that as abide. Many <clears throat> other translations might say remain. But I'm going to put it in, in three words for you that are all going to be similar, right? Just imagine like there's like three circles. They're all going to be in the middle is Jesus. But no, abide, obey. No, abide, obey. Those are kind of our three big pushes for the day. And then there's going to be a result that I'll have for us, which is uh, to, to share or to, to, to live that life. So no, abide, obey is where we're going to start. And you actually see that in the first four verses. I'm going to say this, know the person of Jesus, to know the person of Jesus. Like actually, not just have knowledge that Jesus exists, but know Jesus. So look at 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The first illustration in the vineyard is of Jesus and his father. Then he moves later to just him as the vine. But we start with Jesus with his father. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So a few things we have to know about the person of Jesus as illustrated through the vine. Now I'm going to tell you how a, a younger Christian Hans interpreted this passage in hopes that you can avoid the same mistakes that I made. And here's what I mean. A younger Christian Hans would read this and be so terrified that he would be the one that is taken away. As we read later in the passage, thrown away, like a branch that withers, and he's gathered away, thrown into the fire and burned. So a lot of of like early reading of this passage was me going, how can I not be the one that's thrown away? I don't want to be thrown away and I don't want to be burned. And how do I know if that's the case? Well, if you do that... If you're not careful, you lean way too far into, well, i got to bear fruit. i got to be sure I'm bearing fruit. And if I'm not bearing fruit, then I'm going to be taken away. That, that's, uh, because if you read it like that, you might get to the wrong end point. Wrong end point. So you first have to know the person of Jesus. You have to know who he is. You have to know that he's the vine. And by vine, it means he's the source of life. He's the source of life. I remember one time, I was a high schooler, and my high school small group leader came into my house. We hosted the high school community group. It was like three of us on a Friday night. Three of us in the, you know, because we really love Jesus, so on, when there's high school football, you have Bible study, right? So that's what we did. We were ready to go tell the world that we follow Jesus, and, you know, now I just go to, I'd rather go to high school football games, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and he came, and he brought a leaf out Right, and he just brought he he found it in my front yard, like this green leaf that he like plucked off a tree somewhere, and then this brown leaf, and he held both of them up, and he's like, "Which one of these is dead?" And of course, you have to say both of them. The answer is both of them, because this one has now been removed from the source; it has no life anymore. This one, this one is just you know, the the earlier version of that one. 
So which one is dead? They're both dead. Why? Because they have been removed from the source of life. They have fallen or been plucked. And so I remember that to go, okay, so if you, if you want to know the person of Jesus, what do you need to know? Well, you have to know that in him is life. Gospel of John even says, like, in him was light, and this light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so there's a knowledge about Jesus that if I want to live, I need to be with him. Because if I'm connected to Jesus, I'm connected to life, and he provides life. You can even see, he calls himself, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, which is an interesting way to put it. He's already said, way, truth, life, no one comes to the father but through me. But to be the true vine makes it feel a little bit like there are false vines out there. You know, ways that you will try to attach yourself to living in hopes that you bear some kind of fruit, but you don't. In ways that you find some kind of satisfaction, but you don't. That if you really want true and enduring life, you have to find it in connection to Jesus. So that's the first thing we see about Jesus. Know the person of Jesus. He is the vine. He says his father's the vine dresser in this illustration, meaning that he is the one who is going to do the pruning, the work. And notice that if you bear fruit, you're pruned. And if you don't bear fruit, you're removed. That the work of the father actually does both of those things. Now, we have to think about this in relationship to what a disciple of that day might be hearing. Remember Judas? I mean, Judas had just gone out, and it was night. He went out into the darkness. Everybody thought he was going to buy food, but he wasn't going to buy food. He was going to go betray Jesus. And so when we talk about branches that bear fruit and branches that don't, we need to recognize that there are many who might claim association with Jesus or connection to Jesus who have no real connection to Jesus. Judas was one of those. So they would have had the real-life example of a non-fruit-bearing branch within their midst for years, somebody who was, would claim a connection or an association to Jesus, but actually had none. And so like, let's let the, the metaphor do what it's supposed to do, and let's not like, over-hype it to be like, wait a minute, somebody can know Jesus and be connected to Jesus and not bear fruit? Well, in name only. In name only, if you're connected to Jesus, like the person who says, well, I go to church, I go to this church. I'm a Christian because I go to this church or because I'm connected here or because I do this, then I belong to Jesus. But behaviors aren't actually the things that get us to belong to Jesus, right? It's actually, it's actually him who changes us. He transforms our hearts. And you see that in the next passage. The Father's doing work, Jesus is doing work, and he says this in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus is the one who makes people clean by his word. So he is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and his work for us cleanses us of our sin and grafts us in, to use the language of Romans, brings us Gentiles into the work that he is doing, connects us to him. Jesus is the one doing the work, though, there. And so we have an, a unique role to play, but the, the, the role actually is to, well, we'll get to in a moment, abiding, remaining, staying in the words of Jesus, staying connected to the person of Jesus. That's actually the work that we do, and through that we are transformed. Now, I would just say this. Make this truth about Jesus, the life giver, your delight. 
And in order to make it your delight, you have to actually engage with it. Or else you think that your body can be sustained without water. And it cannot. A body cannot be sustained without water. If you go without water or food, going without water will kill you first. You can actually go weeks without food. But you cannot go weeks without water. It's crazy. And yet we think that like there's some, you know, like if we try to find some false source of life, that if somehow we, we engage in those habits or those behaviors or find life there, that somehow Jesus on the side, like we'll still, he'll just kind of get us by. But it, won't, it doesn't actually happen that way. We have to delight in what Jesus provides, but also, more importantly, who Jesus is. And I'll, I'll share these stories. Uh, we were visiting friends last week, and, um, and I, I have a, a el- former elder that I used to serve with who uh, is, was just diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. That's like a for real, that's a for real cancer, right? Like that's a, that's, that's a, it's not like, oh yeah, you'll probably be fine. It's like, well, we're going to do our best, right? Like we're going to do our best. And you just pray him to recovery and go, Lord, you know, if you're willing, let's do this thing. So we're hanging out with him. I was talking to him last week in his house with him and his wife. And um, he had said, kind of through tears, he goes, I, for the first time in a long time, I'm grateful to God for who he is. And I'm not grateful to God for what he's done for me or for what I have. And it's interesting to hear that switch because, I mean, he's, you know, in his 60s, great. I love this family. They have impacted hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, kind of all over. They, they're so huge as anchor points even in my own life. And to hear him go, I, I've so often been grateful for God's blessings but I haven't realized, I haven't, haven't been grateful enough just for God. And now, nothing aside, life stage aside, cancer aside, whatever might happen aside, I'm just grateful for Him. So when I say make this truth a delight, it actually doesn't just come about. It requires dwelling on it, considering it, speaking it, praying and engaging with your God. Because if not... If not, it is like going on a crash diet one day a week. And you're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only eat lentils and lettuce on Mondays. And by God's grace, everything else I eat Tuesday through Sunday, will the lentils and lettuce will cover me. And anybody who's ever tried that knows it doesn't work. Right? You, you can't do it. And so I say to delight in this truth, to remain in this truth, to think about this truth, let it saturate you. It requires daily application of our hearts to what God has done for us. Because we are prone to wander. Because we do think about other things and move to other things and find our affection in other areas and find our satisfaction in other areas. And so we have to move ourselves uh, toward God, toward his word, so that these truths root deeply within us. Now, if you uh, forget or don't abide, if you don't connect, if you don't read God's word, if you don't discuss it, are you doomed? Absolutely not. But we cannot make these truths a delight unless we behold them, unless we look at them. And it's just a matter of like, if you spend most of your time marveling at other things, guess what becomes more beautiful? Other things. 
If you spend more time looking at the Lord Jesus and what he's done, then guess what becomes more beautiful? And as the hymn goes, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. But you have to look. Or to use the language of the passage, you have to abide. You know the person of Jesus and you abide in the word of Jesus. Look as we continue in verses 5 through 8. Because we're repeating the idea. He says, I'm the true vine. And then we move to verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. So he's helping us understand what the illustration meant. I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch that. Now he's going, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Just in case you were dense, Peter. Because he always is. Like, you're the branch. You're not the vine. Peter, like, what what if I were the vine? You're not the vine, Peter. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I want to say a, a couple of things. That first, when he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he's using his relationship with the Father to describe our relationship with him. That's what he'll be getting to. So, because I'm one with the Father, I want you to be one with me. This is the prayer that he prays in John chapter 17. So, he's using his connection to the Father to demonstrate his disciples' connection with him. And so, he's like, as I abide in my Father, I want you to abide in me. So he goes, if you abide in me and I in you, that relationship that the Christian has, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, we can do nothing. You can do nothing. So first, what do we see to abide in the word of Jesus? Well, first, we see that his life is given up for us. And because of that, we can now be that branch that bears fruit. This for us should be both identity-forming and life-giving. To view ourselves as connected to Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I do not want you to put your head in the sand when he talks about fruit-bearing because it's all throughout chapter 15. He wants you, he actually says, we'll get to it next week, I chose you so that you could bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit for him. But it doesn't come without being connected to him. And you'll often find, I'm not a gardener. Don't come to our house. Don't ask me for gardening advice. But I know this much, I think, is that if a plant gets sick, the fruit goes first. It doesn't bear fruit. Why? Because it has to tend. The plant has to tend to other things. I think it was Ken Boa who said this, but it wasn't me, so don't quote me on it. But what is fruit but excess life? That that, that when everything's working appropriately, fruit is born. When the branches are connected in the right way and there is no disease, fruit is born. And apple trees bear apples, and orange trees bear oranges, and fig trees bear figs. And so it keeps in kind with whatever it is connected to. Good trees bear good fruit, says Jesus. Bad trees bear bad fruit. His half-brother James uses the same thing about our speech. You You don't expect grapes to grow olives. 
It's not how it happens. Now, I know we like to gene splice food now, so like the apple tastes like a grape, but let's not, just, let's not play that game <clears throat> as we're using Jesus' illustration. Like, well, is it a gene splice vine that I'm a part of, or am I like the true Jesus vine? And so the hope is to bear fruit, but fruit only comes if your attention is given to the source of life. If you stay connected to Jesus and remain in his words, then you are able to bear fruit. Because fruit doesn't start, all right? The fruit comes at the end of the plant. It doesn't come at the beginning. I had, uh, I tried to do this as a sermon illustration one time. So Louisiana, we grow satsumas. And if you don't know what satsumas are, they're better than oranges, okay? Like, they're better than oranges, they peel better, they're sweeter. In every way, they're better than, than the stupid oranges that we have here. <clears throat> and the mandarin oranges that we have. Like, they're just awesome. And if you, if you, if you go to a good church, you're going to find somebody during satsuma season who's going to bring you bags of satsumas. Because, like, I can't, there's so much fruit. You just have to have it. So that's when we enjoy our lives. Everybody brings satsumas. So as an illustration, because fruit bearing sometimes takes time, doesn't it? <clears throat> I bought two saplings. Two satsuma saplings, because I heard that you need to grow two. You have two together, and two will do better than one. And so I, I got two, and I knew, this, uh, I knew this landscaper, Wanda. I said, Wanda, I have two satsumas. She goes, well, put them, in the, put, them, put them in your backyard where you want them. I'll send somebody over to plant and be sure they're taken care of. I was like, perfect, let's do this. Also, the blueberry bush that you got me, I never tended to it. It died. But let's, just, let's worry about the satsumas right now. Satsumas are there. Uh, and so I'm like, this is going to be great. We're going to have satsumas one day, and it's going to be cool. And they actually, satsumas, I think, they, they bear fruit in the winter. So, like, you get satsumas now. It's kind of cool. Uh, so I'm ready. I'm like, let's do this. And it's all about an illustration about, like, abiding and waiting. That was my, so, like, it was like a real-life illustration. Like, in years, we're going to have satsumas because we decided now to plant them. And then we moved here. And I never got any. I never got any. But if, the, if really Jesus selected us for fruit, and that's what we'll get to next week, if fruit bearing is the part of a healthy disciple's life, then what do we give attention to? Where our fruit is or where our roots are? You give attention to where your roots are. And if you stay rooted in the Lord Jesus, then the fruit gets born. And how do we stay rooted well, we said first, stay rooted in his life. Remember always where you find your life. Secondly, his word given for you. We've already seen in the first paragraph that his word cleanses us. It cleanses us of unrighteousness. It makes us right, right? The word that he has spoken, the life that he has given, the message that we have received and believed, we have that. But his word also instructs and teaches us as disciples, what it means to operate in a way that honors God. I was talking to somebody, I think it was, maybe it was here, or maybe it wasn't, but either way, just bear with me for a second. So we're talking about preaching, we're talking about the word, and how when you read scripture, or when you're preaching, one of the things that we need to think about is like, what is the world that is being presented here that is different than the way of the world as it is? Of the world of somebody who is abiding and conformed to the image of Jesus. The, wor the, the world out there where what does that look like and how do we focus in on that and what does that produce in contrast to where we live now or how life works now. And the one who is abiding in 
God's word, who is reading it, and not just becoming more mentally aware of it, but actually it is taking root in her heart, in his heart, that is the one that then bears fruit. So we give attention to the word. We don't give attention to the fruit first. We give attention to the word. As the roots go more deeply, the fruit is born. This is what Psalm 1 is all about. The person who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. It's the illustration that we get of the one who remains and meditates and considers God's word. They don't have droughts or dry spells, even though I'm not saying your life is always going to be baller. But they don't have times where they're not alive, staying rooted in his word. Now, when we get to verse 7 of this part of the passage, we read this. If anyone, verse, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We've discussed how you can act like you're connected to Jesus and not be. But I don't think we need to be walking around figuring out who and who is not the actual fruit bearers. The disciples three years later still didn't know it wasn't Judas. They're still trying to figure it out. <clears throat> and so we are not the vine dressers. The Father is the vine dresser. We don't walk around going, I don't think you're bearing enough fruit, Gary, so get out. Like, you know, like, uh, like because, yeah, he's like, all right, I mean, that's kind of weird. I'm not, even, I'm not even a member here. Uh, so it's not our job to walk around and do that. Now, as believers, I think we can challenge one another to fruitfulness, to abiding, to consider, to remain. But the father is the vine dresser. And if we step into the position of the father and go, well, I think that one's done, then we are, again, taking the place of God and going, well, no, I, I know what's better for this person. And what's better for this person is to get thrown up, you know, like bundled together. We're just going to go to the burn pile with them. What? Like, that's a ridiculous way of thinking. But so often in our churches, our leaders, we just kind of presume people's spiritual status after 6 to 12 months of observing them as if the eternal God doesn't know them better. Right? So what should we do? We want to encourage everybody to be abiding, remaining, considering God's word, meditating on God's word. Why? Because we know that through that, fruit is born. And so we don't need to start. I remember one time being in college and going, you've heard this before, where pastors in particular like to go, well, I'm a fruit inspector. But here's the only, the, the main problem I have. I won't say only because i got problems with everything. But like the main problem I have with that statement is not that we want to help people be fruitful. It's not that we want to help people grow or challenge people because the Lord does use us in one another's lives to prune us, to sharpen us, to grow us. Uh, but it's that very often, Fruitfulness is determined by the one who is judging it. That's what I mean. Like, like, and so we go, well, you're not bearing fruit because you're not hospitable enough. Said by somebody who's really hospitable, right? Like, I'm not pointing to myself at that, right? I'm just using the, this is the person. And so we judge people's fruit based upon what we're good at. I mean, it happens all the time where we start to go, well, I'm good at this and you're not, so you must have a problem in your walk with Jesus, which is so presumptuous and arrogant to ever assume of people rather than to go, what can we give attention to? Right? Because in sermons and church life, don't go like, what can I do? 
Man, like, what can I do? You can abide. You can remain. You can consider God's word. What can we do? We can encourage one another to do that same thing, to consider, to remain, to abide. And here's an example. for Let's just say somebody comes to you and they go, hey, I'm really going through a hard time. I've tried these 45 things to get it right, and it hasn't worked. And you go, have you considered the Lord? Have you considered what God says about this? Have you considered what he might ask of you in this? And here's what might often happen. It's like, I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. I know what it says about how I'm supposed to speak to people. I know what it says about the kind of friend I'm supposed to be. I know what it says about the kind of church member I'm supposed to be. I know what it says about generosity. What, you just don't care? Because if you're looking for me to give you some kind of other answer about how to address this, I can't give you some good ones. I will say, hey, maybe you know, taking a walk won't be that bad for you. You might actually enjoy it. Uh, you might get better sleep if you actually exert your body. But even Paul goes, well, physical training is of some merit. And we have warnings against being slothful and lazy. And so not being lazy, that's a pretty good thing. Pretty good to not be lazy. Like we should never be praying around like, I'm so lazy. I'm like, that's not a good thing. Proverbs hates lazy people. Like it just is not a fan. Applauds hard work does not want you to be lazy or slothful or gluttonous, right? It's like, but we're Texans. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting. The pregnant pause. And so, if we give some kind of other way to help people, we fail them. For the disciple, for the one following after Jesus, we go, let's, let's first look at God's word. And when, yeah, if you ever talk to me in a counseling session, I want to give you habits. I want to give you ways that maybe this could be better. If you have never consistently read the Bible, I want to talk to you about, let's find a way to get you to consistently read God's word. If you've never discussed it, I want to talk to you about how could we get into spaces and places where we could talk about it. If you've never had any older believer talk to you about your faith and help you kind of process life, then let's find somebody who can help you with those things because that's really important for how God has built us together as a bunch of branches connected to his vine. There's a way the branches even operate. So let's do those things. But it must still be rooted in what he has revealed to us about what is necessary to live. And if we kind of go, yeah, I know what it says, but, then we're missing out on what God has given to us so that there's no but at the end of that sentence. And this isn't to say, because sometimes we can hand around, I've heard Tommy Nelson say it this way, where you hand verses out like, like bromides, Right, like nothing, like a placebo, where you go, hey, just, if I just quote this verse to you, you should feel better. If I just say this thing to you, you should feel better. If you just memorize this passage, you're going to feel better. That doesn't always work, because you people are complex. And so like, yes, that's like going, I got one tool, memorize this verse, and you're good. That doesn't always work, right? You have to sometimes just be with people, remain with them, care for them, talk with them. But from the position of what God has revealed so that we can be our best help for them. Abide in me and my word in you. And if you do this, he says, ask whatever you wish. But there's a condition. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Because what happens in those moments that we are praying and keeping with God's heart? I'm praying and keeping with God's heart. When we talked about this a few weeks ago, I said pray all kinds of things. But even sometimes the work of prayer to go, God, what do you say about this? Why should it even matter to me that I'm praying for 
my, my neighbors who don't know you to know you. Why does that matter? Right? And use, use God's word and communicate it back. That Sometimes the best prayers that we have are when we read God's word and we go back to it and go, <clears throat> what do I do with this? If you look at some of my prayer requests, they often have like verses connected to them because I'll read something and I'll go, golly, I'm not doing that. And I just begin praying that that might manifest itself more in my life. And I attach the verse. Maybe I'm doing the Bible reading for the, for the week and, and I get there and I'm like, ah, this is, I'm not doing this thing. I'm not, I don't know how to even get it into my heart. So I just start praying from that passage, God, could you? And I do it for my eating, seriously. I'm like, Lord, can I just be wise in how I eat? And I have a proverb attached to it. You know, it's like, you know, kill yourself before you overeat. Like, it's, it's, it's almost what it says. It's like, if somebody lays out a whole bunch before you, like, don't eat it all. That's not a good thing. Like, like so, so just the warning of it. I have that as something I pray so that I have a reason. Or else I'm like, let me just feast, man. Like, let's just go. So if you abide and my words abide or remain and remain, then ask and you will receive. Why? Because we're asking and keeping with God's word, with God's design, with the way that he wants this world to operate. Know the person of Jesus. Abide in the words of Jesus. I would add this. Where is your attention Where is your attention? Because remaining in the work and words of Jesus, though no one takes us out of his hand, to be fruitful in our endeavors, to give attention to his word, to give attention to his work, that is effort. It does. You have to to purpose to go, no, I'm going to community group tonight. No, I'm going to go be in my discipleship group. No, I'm going to do the reading. No, I'm going to, like, it's been three weeks, so I'm going to get back on the train because I need to just give attention to the Lord and the things of the Lord if I'm going to stand a chance. And I'll follow this thread. I mean, I'm going to let you in on any counseling session I have. When somebody shows up to my office, which I don't have, and they talk, and something is going on in their life, it doesn't often take long to realize that they stopped considering things of the Lord long ago. And they're only showing up when that's not working for them anymore. And you go, you know what, it's easier to actually show up to the ER with only one gunshot wound and not ten. But you went ahead and let yourself get ten, and now you're showing up going, could you fix it? But you've had about a year of lack of care about God, and now you're trying in like one week to make it all better. And it doesn't work. Because there's no crash version of obedience. There's no crash diet that gets us back square walking and thinking and considering and knowing because this is a lifelong sanctifying work. And so we have to continue to remain so that I would hope for those of you in our room who are retired or getting close, I know, like who long for it, that you look back and you go, man, I want to like my 60s are my best year. My 70s become my best year. Why? Because by God's grace, there's been decades of abiding. And you might go, well, I don't have anything to offer. And everybody else is going, no, 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 no. You have everything to offer, right? You have the excess life that has come through decades of walking with Jesus. We need that. We need that to understand what it means to know him better and to follow him better. We need that from one another. 
And yet so often we don't, we don't provide it. We don't even consider it. So I say, where is your attention? Where is your attention? It takes effort to keep moving our mind back towards the Lord when it wants to move to marriage, family, finance, friends, job, income, like all those. It's like, it's like we just want to go, and like a horse with blinders, you have to go, no, 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 I promise, like look over here. It's better over here. Keep looking over here. But the, the hard, to, to use the phrase for those of you in sales, right, the hard sell is that you have to go, if you keep at it, like in eight years, things are going to be awesome. People are going, I don't, I don't want to wait eight years. You're like, well, you're going to have to. I remember being like seven years married, um, something about that, that long, maybe five years married, seven years married, and Courtney and I were not having the best of times. Um, we're great now. Everything's perfect. But... We weren't having the best of times, and I was talking to somebody about it. Who you know, They had been married at that time like 20 years, so we're coming up on where they are now. Uh, but he looked at me, and, oh, he's great. And, um, and he was like, buddy, you got about seven more years of that. You got about seven more years of that. And, like, you're going to keep learning, and you're going to keep screwing up, and you're going to keep learning how to adjust and how to care. And you're like, seven years? I don't even know how I'm going to make it seven more years. Whatever, whatever you start to do, like seven more years of this, this stinks. I don't want this. And he's like, you just got to keep at it. And if you keep at it, seven years become 70 years. Right? You just, you, but you have to keep putting the attention into your marriage. Anything. Let's just think about it for a moment. Anything that you want to see work requires attention, doesn't it? Anything. If you want your garden to grow and to not have weeds, you got to be out there all the time. That's why I don't garden. And then when the freeze comes, that twice a year when it comes here, you have like everything freaks out, right? Every, because houses here aren't made to endure enduring cold weather. We run our like you know, main water line to our house three inches below the dirt because we're just like, well... It's never going to get there. Like, it's never going to be that bad. You know, you guys move from Tennessee, and it's like, this is the stupidest way to build a house ever. Like, there's like, like, why would you do that? It's like, well, because we don't even know what freezing means. And then, you know, February hits, 2021, we're like, oh. <laughs> this is why you build it at 18 inches or wherever the frost line. You get below the frost line so you don't die. Like, that's what we learn. Anything that you want to have, you want to see produce good results requires attention, requires effort, requires work. This, hear me, is not a statement about your salvation. This is a statement about how we walk with the Lord. It's part of the relationship that he's called us into and designed us for. And as we know the way and things of the Lord better... By the spirit in us that enables us, empowers us, has our mind moves to the things of Jesus, the better we are able to live and walk and produce fruit. We'll talk more next week about what kind of fruit are we talking about. Because Jesus uses fruit that is, like, endures. Fruit that endures, which is a weird way to put it. Like fruit that endures, like, how do I know it endures at all? Which then gets you a bigger idea of what he's actually called us into. It's a pretty serious mission that he's called us into. And he's like, and you're my workers in the field. And we're like, what? You're like, we're the ones that go do this? Yep, we're the ones. Given the word and the enablement and the power of the Lord for us to go out and do this. And so when I say effort or attention, 
It's not geared toward your salvation. And God's the one that will even grow you, as Paul says. One plants, another waters, but God makes the growth. But it does take the work of sowing and watering and attention. And then by God's grace, you go, oh my gosh, I got satsumas. It's been four years. We were waiting. I got one thing. And what do you do? I mean, if, you, if you're a gardener, I can't, you gardeners. I, I was at a friend's house in Denton last week. And she was like, did you see our pumpkins? I just walked in the house. You know, her husband is like, did you see our pumpkins? I'm like, pumpkins? What are you talking about, pumpkins? No, I didn't see any pumpkins. And like, she's like, no, you got to go see them. And I go out and there's this pumpkin vine. And no joke, there's this green pumpkin. It's like this big. Blends in with the grass. I thought the rabbits were eating. I don't know what was going on. Like this big, right? Here it is. And there's such pride. It's like, did you see this? It's huge. And you're like, I can, I can literally go to the grocery store and buy something that's about 35 times that size for a buck. Like, like. But why is there such pride? How come when you're having a conversation with somebody... And, and, and the Lord brings to mind something that you had studied that week or something that you might have heard of or something that you were talking with a friend about even a month prior. And the Lord brings that to mind and you're able to offer it and, it and it does something for somebody. How come we're so glad? Why? Because it's bearing fruit. And it really goes, look at my pumpkin. Right? Like, look at it. And it has nothing to do with us or our pride or like, man, I'm awesome. It has to do with like, I'm so glad I'm so glad I didn't give up. I'm so glad I kept considering. I'm so glad because had I stopped or not cared or not been concerned, then what would have happened? Would have been done. Know, abide, obey. Verse 9. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. More next week on that. Because he actually talks about his command being to love. He's like, you know, you don't have to, he dumbs it down for us. Be loving. That's how you obey my commands. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, him and the Father, us and him. These things I have spoken to you, now look at this, that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want you to look at that again. Right at the end of verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How do we live that joy-filled, fruitful, and love-saturated life? I mean, Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you can share in my joy that he has from the Father. I'm telling you this so that you can enjoy your life. I'm telling you this so that you can have joy and it can be full. That's what he wants for us. This is why why knowing Jesus is so great because he hides nothing. Right? Like he's the one human in the world that you can fully trust. Because even for those of you who are married, I'm sure there's been some point in time where your spouse held something back. A purchase, a conversation, or whatever. Oh, yeah, they, yeah our, our son did that thing like three weeks ago, but we decided not to tell you 
because you get a little mad. Whatever happens, right? Like even the closest of relationships have at times fault lines in them, issues between them, but not so with Jesus. He's like, I'm telling you this so that you can have the fullest, most joyful life that could exist. Why? Because that joy comes from him. That we get to experience the joy of Jesus. As so I would say to you today, if you want to enjoy your life, then you have to enjoy your Savior. If you want to enjoy your life, then you have to enjoy your Savior. Because that's the way that he's designed it. That's the way that he's designed it. If we enjoy him, we enjoy our lives. Why? Because he gives the supreme, unending, enduring, and abiding meaning to all things. But it takes that discipline, does it? We call it spiritual disciplines. They're not like spiritual easies, right? They're spiritual disciplines to consider and to think. And I tell you guys, even showing up here on a Sunday is a discipline. When you wake up and you're like, man, I just want to catch it online today. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I just want to do that, right? Like, you go, no, 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 no. We're going to show up in the room. We're going to talk to human beings. We're going to have real conversations. And we're going to ask somebody how they're doing. Like, all of that takes work. It costs something. We don't think of it as discipline because we often think about disciplines as just what we do. But this is a corporate way to engage and remain in God's truth, to remain in God's word. And in just a moment, when we go to communion, we will be able to consider the work of Jesus, to think about the work of Jesus, to remember the work of Jesus. And that as we remain in him, as we abide in him, yes, we bear much fruit, but there's also much joy because we keep considering our Savior over other things. And with every day, he becomes more beautiful, more loving and gracious in our sight because we see just how great he is.